Welcome to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. Here at Fremont, we create space for people to become lifelong followers of Jesus, and we relentlessly pursue His transformation of our neighborhood, our city, and the world. Here's today's message. We're going to move into our teaching this morning from Mark chapter 1. We're starting a new uh, teaching series today um, called Disciple Like Jesus. Disciple Like Jesus. Just coming out of this series for the first half of the summer around this word sent, what it means to be uh, sent by God into our neighborhood and city and our world. Uh, But you can also see that uh, here at Fremont, we, we take this idea of discipleship really seriously. Uh, That is why our mission statement begins with these words that Fremont exists to create space for people to become lifelong followers of Christ. And so we are asking this question, what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And and then what does it mean to also make disciples like him? That's the, the calling that he has given each one of us. Um, our text today is uh, Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 14 through 20. This is Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom of God, which then flows directly into him calling his first disciples. Uh, the very beginning of his disciple-making ministry is this ministry uh, grounded in the reality of the kingdom. Um, so I, what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray for us before we get into God's word. And, um, and if you pull out your Bibles, get it up on your phones. Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 14. But would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we... We do thank you for your word um, and the gift it is to come together and learn from you. We thank you that as we um, hear these words, we know that that, that these words have the power to transform our hearts and minds, not because uh, of the words themselves, but because of uh, the source of them. Um, By your spirit, God, we ask that you would change us this morning, um, that you would uh, give us eyes to see your kingdom in this world and grow in us a deep desire to be uh, more faithful followers of you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter one, starting at verse 14, it says this. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed Jesus. This is the word of the Lord and thanks be to God. And so Jesus begins by grounding his entire ministry in the reality of the kingdom of God, the proclamation of God's kingdom here and now. That's why we've included these verses in our text today. Uh, Because if we hope to become lifelong followers of his, then we had better have the same grounding and foundation. We had better know uh, what it is that we're being called into. Jesus proclaims the good news, he proclaims the kingdom, and then he invites people into it. 
You know, it kind of reminds me of um, some of my favorite scenes in, in, in stories, books, or movies uh, where the main characters co- come into some new, totally new world that is so unlike what they're uh, used to. Uh, it's, it's kind of like Dorothy stepping into um, Oz, right? Uh, totally confused and disoriented. And there is that inevitable scene where someone sets down with the character and has to explain to them what is happening actually proclaiming what is this new reality that they have stepped into, explaining kind of the, 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 the way of things in this new place. And the, the, my favorite example of this is uh, in, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, the four kids, Lucy, Peter, Edmund, Susan, they've, they've come through the wardrobe into this amazing new land called Narnia, and they have a lot of questions. And it is a very different place from where they came, and they don't know the rules, they don't know how this place works, they don't know who the people are, uh, and it is not until they are sitting down for a meal uh, with the great Mr. and Mrs. Beaver do they really begin to understand what this world is about. The Mr. and Mrs. Beaver then go on to explain to them what Narnia is, who Aslan is, who the, the, the white witch is. They're, they're beginning to get a picture of Narnia for the first time. Now, I, and also like they're eating food with talking beavers. So like that's a clue. Something is strange about this place. <clears throat> but but uh, all of a sudden, uh, they are coming into uh, the reality uh, of Narnia, of this new place. You know, right? This, we see this elsewhere. This is the hobbits uh, in the Shire hearing about this world beyond for the first time and then being thrust into this great story. It's, it's, it's Neo learning about the Matrix. And then all of a sudden, all of the cares that he had before are so meaningless when he's invited into uh, this new reality. You see, these characters, they come into unfamiliar places and kingdoms, places where they don't understand, uh, but then someone proclaims it to them, shares with them uh, where they are and what is going on. It's like scales falling from their eyes. You see, now the possibilities for them in this new place are endless. It's not as though, in the example I gave, that Narnia becomes any more real because now the kids know what it's called and who their king is. Narnia was there already, They were already in it, but now they began to truly understand what it is about. Their reality has forever been changed, and now they can participate in the story of this place. You see, this is is Jesus declaring the kingdom of God, and and when we are invited into it, our sense of reality and understanding of everything should forever be changed. The the proclamation of the kingdom should permanently alter our frame of mind and what it means to be a disciple. So that's what we're looking at today. This this proclamation of the kingdom with this invitation to be disciples of Jesus. We're going to look at at three things. The, the, The gospel of the kingdom, kingdom gospel, the invitation of the kingdom, and then the people of the kingdom. So Jesus' message, this is kingdom gospel. Uh, Jesus' message, his, his gospel, his good news was centered on the reality of the kingdom of God. That the time had come for that, 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 that time had been fulfilled and that the kingdom, it was at hand. It still is at hand. It still is here. In fact, the kingdom of God, uh, as, as Dave mentioned earlier when he read those parables, the kingdom of God is the topic that Jesus uh, um, talks about and teaches and mentions more than anything else in the gospels. There are upwards of a hundred mentions of the kingdom of God by Jesus in, in, in the four gospels. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom, Jesus said in Matthew 5. 
We're to enter the kingdom, Jesus says in Luke 18. We're to enter the kingdom as little children. Jesus teaches us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And just hours before he's crucified in the book of John, Jesus says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. So we see, undoubtedly, Jesus was about the kingdom. This was central to his, uh, to his good news and his mission. And it is good news. I really want us to, to hear this today, the, the good news of the kingdom. It is good news that, that Jesus saw to the kingdom's breaking out upon earth. His kingdom breaking out onto, into uh, this, this, our humanity through his work and ministry. Jesus, it's good news that he secured the kingdom's victory forever through his death and resurrection. And that through Christ's death on the cross, that we could be saved from sin and death and brought into new life in the kingdom of God. And then he he doesn't just leave us after accomplishing all of that, but Jesus sends us his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that dwells in each one of us, enabling us to live out the kingdom of God wherever we go, even here on earth. The kingdom of God is not a physical place with borders. It is not some secret or hidden place just beyond a wardrobe. And it is not merely a metaphor for a nice life with Jesus. It is real. It is at hand, even though its full expression has not yet come. Right, we, we recognize this, any one of us. We, we step out of, of church and we see brokenness in our world. And we can say, well, that's, that's not really part of the kingdom. And that's the, the strange nature of this kingdom. It is already here and at hand, but not yet fully expressed. It is the already and not yet kingdom of God. You may have heard that phrase. And so how do we summarize? What, what is the kingdom of God? What does that mean? We could spend weeks and weeks and weeks looking at uh, all of these mentions uh, uh, that Jesus has of the kingdom and learn something. In short, I'd say, um, I was at all church conference this week. I was really helped out by a speaker that spent three days talking about the kingdom of God. So I'm just going to take what he said, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm open about this, okay? Our speaker said this, and I think it's a great definition. He said, the kingdom of God is wherever the will of God is discerned and obeyed. The kingdom of God is wherever the will of God is discerned and obeyed. So something about uh, uh, growing an understanding of that kingdom and then following through, uh, letting that understanding change what we do and how we act. It is um, uh, 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 wherever there are people who seek to know and understand and then follow the will of God in their life, in their community, in their neighborhood, and so on. Like Jesus has us pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the, the kingdom of God. And I want to say, right, right here, the kingdom of God is not about following right rules and checking the right boxes for rules, rule-keeping sake. It's about walking in and living in the will of God. And yes, part of our discerning God's will is, is learning the ethics of the, the kingdom. Uh, but there is also freedom in this kingdom. No longer are we uh, bound to our old self. No longer are we oppressed by sin and slaves to it. Instead, we have new life in Christ Jesus. And we should never make the mistake of thinking that we have to earn our way into this kingdom. No, Jesus says the kingdom is here. It is now. And I want you to come and be a part of it. Come and follow me, he says. And it's worth repeating. 
Jesus was not content, content to leave us to figure out how to live in his kingdom on our own. He sent us his spirit, enabling us to walk in this kingdom. The Holy Spirit is our, our guide and our source. Jesus lived perfectly that we could be forgiven and made new. The kingdom of God is not meant to be a, another burden for you to bear or to struggle through. Instead, it is abundant life always lived in the shadow of God's grace and his love. And that uh, brings us to the second idea, this invitation into the kingdom. So Jesus proclaims the kingdom and then he invites us into it. After proclaiming this, uh, making this great proclamation of the gospel in the kingdom, he begins calling disciples. Simon and Andrew, as they were fishing on the Sea of Galilee, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Follow me. This is what our discipleship looks like. It's following Jesus, learning from him. The, the word that I used a few weeks ago is, um, is apprenticing Jesus, that we're apprentices of Christ. We apprentice him, we follow him, so we can learn from him in order to be like him. An apprentice looks at their potential mentor or teacher and says, I want to be like them. They're good at something, and I want to learn that thing for myself. Dallas Willard, he, he frames this idea really uniquely, and he invites us to ask this question that I don't know that I've ever considered before. Willard says, um, he asks, what is it that the Lord Jesus is good at? Have you ever wondered that? What's Jesus good at? I asked somebody that this week, and they said, carpentry? And I said, I think he's good at healing, too. I think Jesus was good at a lot of things. But this is the way that, um, this is the way that Dallas Willard answers that question. He says, Jesus, he, this is what he's good at. He lives, he lives holy in the kingdom of God, totally in the kingdom of God. And he applies that kingdom for the good of others and then makes it possible for them to enter it themselves. Jesus is really good at living in the kingdom of God. And he applies that to others and everything he does is in light of the kingdom of God. This is what it means to be a disciple, that by grace, we would follow him to learn how to live in the kingdom of God. We could say, I'm learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. We're learning to live as if Jesus, as if Jesus had, our, had our choices and our decisions. It's a cliche, but there was this thing. What would Jesus do? Do you remember this? It feels a little cliche, but also like, you know, not a bad question to be asking. It's not a rule, list of rules and procedures, but instead learning from him principles and a foundation that transform our whole way of being, right? Everything about us should change in light of the kingdom. Um, Brother Lawrence, who's this 17th century monk, uh, he, he's remembered for his deep intimacy with God. It was often said that he would be just moved into incredible deep worship as he was um, cooking omelets in the morning. I don't know how your breakfasts are. I worship God when I drink coffee. Um, yeah, praise God for coffee, right? Uh, but such was Brother Lawrence's worship of God and intimacy that even in the mundane of life, he could worship. But he said this, our sanctification does not depend upon changing our works, but in doing that for God's sake, which we commonly do for our own. 
Do you see the, the frame that he has, the lens of the kingdom is looking at our whole lives and saying, how can I do what I do except do it for him, for God's glory and for the sake of others? Will there be things that as we are examining our lives that we need to actually throw out entirely because they are opposed to the kingdom? Yes, probably. But it's also about taking the simple and the everyday, the routine and the mundane and doing these things for the glory of God. Worshiping God in our housework, in our, our, our parenting, in our uh, friendships with our neighbors, everywhere we go, in our commute to work, worshiping God, doing these things for his glory. When we do this, when we consider our actions, our thoughts, our relationships, our neighbors, our coworkers through a kingdom lens, if we, if we really consider all of these things through the lens of God's kingdom, I think a tremendous change will start to happen. We look, as we look to the life and teachings of Jesus to understand more and more deeply what it looks like uh, in practice, right? That's why we look to Jesus. We want to learn from him because Jesus taught uh, about how we ought to relate to one another in his kingdom. He taught about how we ought to relate to our neighbors in the kingdom of God, how we relate to the poor among us, how we relate to our non-believing neighbors, how we relate to our possessions, how we relate to money, how we relate to authorities and powers in this world, how we relate to our work, even how we relate to God and, 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 and our life of prayer and seeking him. He's inviting us into this kingdom reality, a program that really is summed up in, in two commands, to love God and to love others, to live for his glory and for the sake of others, even before ourselves. And this is the the content of Jesus' proclamation. He says, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from that old way. Put to death that old self and instead turn to something else. It's It's not enough that we would just turn around and stay over here. He actually wants us to move in a different direction entirely toward faith and his kingdom and his work. And as we follow and apprentice Jesus... Our understanding of the kingdom and our ability to live in it will grow and grow, right? And I, and I should say here, this is, does not happen overnight. This is the lifelong process of apprenticing Jesus, that his kingdom would grow in our hearts and our minds and in our lives. But we cannot do it apart from him. And we see that. His invitation, if we're talking about a kingdom invitation, his invitation is, he says, follow me. So follow him. Jesus is saying, hey, come with me. I know the way, I'll show you. It's this gentle invitation. It's not compulsory, it's not foisted upon anyone. It's a gentle invite into his kingdom and to, into his work, apprenticing him to learn what it means to live as citizens of this kingdom that he has proclaimed. And so that brings us, we're citizens of the kingdom. That brings us to this kind of third and final idea um, to look at the kingdom people. Look at the kingdom people that we see in this passage, these first few disciples that Jesus called. He said to Simon and Andrew as they were fishing, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then he does the same with the fishermen brothers, James and John. I I love what Jesus does here. This this moment of calling his first disciples and the way that he does it. There, There are no entrance exams, don't worry. There are no elite qualifications. These were ordinary guys, they were fishermen Humble, not glamorous, and Jesus invites them to follow him into the kingdom of God. 
And he meets them in their context. And they then become part of the humble beginnings of the kingdom, right? Those, are, those parables that, we, that Dave read earlier, the mustard seed and the little bit of leaven that grows beyond anything we could imagine. Jesus speaks to who these guys already are. He calls four fishermen. And remember, he, he does not exclusively call fishermen. It's not as if all the disciples were fishermen. These guys were. Other disciples had different backgrounds. And he says that, he says that if they follow him, if they apprentice him and learn from him, then he will make them fishers of men, radically altering their sense of work and vocation. Now their work is meant for the kingdom. He speaks to their identity and their calling and says, this thing that is so part of who you are, being a fisherman, I want to take that and I want to make use of it in the kingdom. Their work in the kingdom was not on boats with nets, but with people through evangelism and compassion, caring for the sick and the hurting, drawing others into this kingdom. And I will say here, I confess, I know almost nothing about fishing. I think there's bait involved, right? And the goal is to catch a fish. I'm, I'm, I know nothing about fishing. If Jesus came to me and called me to be his disciple, which I think he has, but you know what I mean. I don't think he would say, hey, I'm going to make you a fisher of men because I would be like, well, I don't know what that means. That means nothing to me. And, and I think that's part of the idea. Jesus actually knows something about these people, so he's putting it in language that they know and understand. He's speaking to their background, their identity, and he invites them to bring that with them, redeeming it for his purpose in the kingdom. Following Jesus into the kingdom is not uh, about doing the same thing uh, as the person next to you at church right? Uh, it, it, it's not about, okay, we all need to be exactly the same. In fact, God has given us unique purposes in his kingdom, and it's about taking the principles of the kingdom and letting those things apply to our unique place, our unique calling, our unique work, and so on. The calling of the kingdom is universal to make disciples, but that calling then is uniquely applied to each one of us. Jesus knows you. He loves you. He has already died for you and saved you, and now he is calling you into something unique for the sake of his kingdom. Jesus' invitation is for you, where you are uniquely now, to live in the kingdom. So what might your invitation look like? What does it look like for you to live for the kingdom of God in your context? How would your work week change if you understood your workplace as a primary place where discipleship can occur? How would, you, how would your view of your workplace change if you recognize that you are an ambassador of the kingdom and you brought it with you every day into work? As an apprentice of Jesus, as a, citizen, as, a, as a citizen of his kingdom, we become ambassadors wherever we go. And we can ask the question, how would Jesus approach what I am going to do tomorrow? You start thinking about your day. And it's not just your jobs, right? Uh, how are you apprenticing Jesus in your school in your parenting of your kids? How are you apprenticing Jesus as you aim to be a good neighbor or amongst your friends? Remember, the kingdom is not about learning the exact rules and checking all the right boxes. It's instead apprenticing Jesus and being so transformed by this teacher, knowing so deeply his way of word and deed, being so enculturated into the kingdom of God that in all circumstances, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that we would live and move by the will of God, discerning and following his will. I was thinking about um, 
you know, we, we look to Jesus. We want to be, we want to live in a way that, that um, exemplifies Jesus, and he is our example, and it is true, he is. Um, but it's not a one-for-one, one, right? Jesus was never married. He, he never had kids. But his way of life and his teachings, they, they actually teach me something about God's will for my marriage. In the same way, Jesus, he, though he was unmarried, he was never a single person in this modern world with all of its unique challenges. Yet again, the principles of the kingdom can be a guide for how to navigate relationships and singleness or marriage or family or whatever it is today. Jesus didn't have your job. He didn't live in this city. But his love for others and his call to be a light of God's love tells us something about how we can be like him wherever we go. And this is God's design for the kingdom, for us uniquely to represent it every place we are. How do we, how do we see these first, first disciples respond to Jesus? They leave their nets. They let go of security and stability and safety, whatever steady income they were managing, so they could fully follow after Christ. Such was their transformation. Such was the change of their identity in the kingdom of God that they could make such a bold surrender of their material lives. What fundamentally changes about each one of us as we are his disciples is that the Holy Spirit then becomes our daily source of strength and guide and the kingdom becomes the goal of everything that we do. We can do this. We can set aside our nets and our desires and instead seek to understand and obey the will of God because this is what Christ has already done. He secured his kingdom by laying aside his own life. And then he invites us to follow and learn from him that we could join in him. And this is where I want to close today. Because this is, this is what Jesus has already done for us. If we consider the high calling on our lives, we see that he did this. I want to close with reading a section from Philippians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul uses um, what, what kind of appears to be some ancient creed or hymn that the first believers um, knew well. Um, it's really uh, the early church would use to talk about who Jesus was. Uh, right before this, uh, Paul encourages believers to uh, put the needs of others before ourselves. And then he says this. This is Philippians 2, um, verse 5. Have the same mind as Christ Jesus. Right? So that's what we've been talking about. Be, be so transformed by Jesus in the way of the kingdom that, that that's, it becomes second nature to have the same mind as Christ. Have the same mind as Christ who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of so at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love these words in Philippians two. They move me into worship, but they also move me into this this uh, kingdom way of things. What a glorious King and Savior we have who does not lord his power over us, but was so obedient to the point of death that we could be saved. 
And now he looks at each one of us and he still says, gently, he says, come, follow me. I know the way. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we we thank you for your kingdom. We thank you for the ways that we see it each and every day, the way that it is still breaking forth among us. And we thank you for this humbling, incredible invitation to come into your kingdom and to be used by you. Lord, would you grow in us a deep desire to follow after your son, to apprentice him, to be like him? Would you put on our hearts and minds this consideration? Would you, would you move us to consider the, your kingdom as we look at every aspect of our lives? God, we thank you for the good news that we are saved, that the victory of this kingdom is already secured and it goes on forever. Let us live in this hope as people who know their identity in your son, saved and redeemed and called for a great purpose. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've been listening to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit fremontpress.org. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 a.m. in the sanctuary for classic worship and 10.30 a.m. in the Community Life Center for modern worship. You can catch the live stream of both services at fremontpress.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to get the latest episode each week. Thanks for listening.